Let's go ahead and begin our time together in prayer. God, we come to you today, Lord. And as always, we are thankful to be here in this place. We're thankful for your presence, uh, being here with us, God. God, and we ask as we, we open up your word and we see your truth that is in it, God, we ask that we respond rightly, that, that as we see you rightly, we would respond in turn to it. And so God, I just pray that you open up our eyes, that open up our ears uh, to see you and your word on every page. God, that your name would be lifted up and that we would be changed because of it. We love you and we trust you to do this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey everyone, my name is Jeremy Whitehead. I'm our Jasper campus student minister. Uh, that means uh, I usually speaking with students and hanging out with our students at our Jasper campus, but I'm always excited uh, to be here with you guys. Uh, you throw less things at me, which is always a great thing. This, it feels like a safe place up here right now. My life is not in danger. Uh, but man, I, I'm so excited to, to be here with you. And I want to... Uh, let you in kind of in on my life a little bit. We don't see each other too much, so I want you to get to know me. Uh, I have been married for 12 years to my beautiful wife, Caroline, and we have uh, our son, uh, Whitaker Ford. He is uh, 14 months, about to be 15, and that's us up there on the screen. And um, I have enjoyed so much uh, stepping into my new role as a father, and he is, man, Wit is a machine. We call him Wit for short. His name's Whitaker Ford. Uh, Pastor David doesn't let me uh, say that without saying Whitaker Ford. But um, man, he is a machine. He runs everywhere. Uh, he started this new thing where uh, when he goes and runs, he lifts his hands up and so he'll, he'll pick a direction and go and then just take off. And so man, he is uh, everywhere all the time. But I have, I have enjoyed it. And uh, one of the things for me that I've, I've really started uh, enjoying uh, is him discovering new things. And so as he's discovering new things, he's just in awe all the time. And, you know, we, we went to the beach and he's, he's picking up sand and he's just picking it up and looking at it and picking it up and looking at it. And I just see the wheels turning in his head. He's like, why is sand different than dirt? And he's just amazed by it. He's, he's seeing the ocean. He's like, why, why is the ocean so much bigger than my bathtub? You know, right? And so he's, he's just uh, engaging these things and uh, coming into these new experiences. And he's always in awe. He has this face. He just opens his mouth. He's just like looking everywhere all the time. And I, I know me personally, I've been challenged by it. Uh, I've been challenged because when, when God is doing something new, I don't always respond that way. When, when God is doing, I wanna be like him as, as I'm seeing God do something new, as God is moving in different ways, I wanna be like, this feels different. This looks different. I wanna be excited about it. I wanna be in awe. I want my mouth to be open. I wanna just be looking around. Uh, that, that's how I want to be with the things uh, that God's doing. And uh, like if you saw in the pictures, uh, we, were, we were at the beach. And so we were living our best lives because the beach is our favorite place in the world. And so we were at the beach and uh, we get there and, and wit is fearless. No, no fear for anything. And so we set him down in the sand and he sees all of the ocean and all of its bigness and all of those waves. And he sticks his arms up in the air, leans his head forward and runs straight into the ocean. And so uh, we would sit there and I, I would stand at the, the edge of the water. And as he would get close, he'd kind of get to the, the edge and he'd just kind of fall like dead weight when he kind of went over the, the, the edge there. And I would catch him and I'd turn him around. He'd kind of waddle back out of the water and he'd turn back and look at me and then take off again, arms in the air. And we did that 
four hours. And man, it's, it's just a blast. Him, the way he experiences new things, all the things that he's doing, how excited he is about every moment. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because today, as we are looking at parables and we're looking at uh, stories in the Bible that Jesus taught, we're gonna be looking at a story about how a father relates to his uh, children. And so, we're, and, and specifically, Jesus is inviting us here in this passage to see God as a perfect father and for us to recognize our identities as his children and to approach him as a loving father. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them up. If not, it's gonna be up here on the screen. And so a uh, couple things about this parable. This parable is called the parable of the friend at midnight. And so it's kind of an obscure passage. Not a lot of people are super familiar with it. Uh, I think it gets overshadowed by the Lord's prayer. It is the example that Jesus gave right after he taught the Lord's Prayer. And so uh, for, for us to understand it, we need to understand some things uh, in the Lord's Prayer. If I was Dave, I would say for us to understand the parable of the friend at midnight, we need. But I'm not Dave, so I'm not going to ask that. And so, but we are going to be diving in to Luke 11. And at the opening of Luke 11, we see the disciples asking Jesus a question. And, and we're gonna give the disciples some credit today because they don't always ask good questions. Like sometimes the disciples are going around and uh, someone's being unhospitable to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, should we summon fire to rain down on them? And Jesus is like, no, we're not gonna do that today. And so sometimes they're not asking great questions. In this specific scenario, they're asking a great question. They said, teach us how to pray. And so in that, the, the context that we're seeing here, uh, the Lord's Prayer is gonna set up where we're going in our parable today. So we're gonna start in verse two. It says, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So Jesus here is beginning to, to teach them about prayer well, what I want us to see as we begin breaking this down, that he's not just giving them a formula about how to pray, but he's also teaching them about who they are praying to. And the first thing he says, the most important thing you need to know about this father that you are praying to is that he is holy. He said, hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name. Because you are holy. You are set apart. You are totally different. He's perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect in his power. He's perfect in his knowledge. He's perfect in his wisdom. He's perfect in his decision-making. There's not an area that comes to God that he is not perfect in. He's completely different. And as we begin to see this holy, perfect father, it seems like the, the distance from him to us is so far. He, he's perfect in all of his decisions. We aren't. He is always right and always true. We aren't. There has never been a time where he has, has, has been in need and we are desperately in need. There's such a big difference between us. And he begins to describe in our relationship to this father exactly how that goes. And the first thing he says is our father is a provider. 
to give us this day our daily bread, some things for us to understand about the cultural context at that time. Um, the, the, the idea of daily bread is, is they would actually make bread daily, uh, or almost daily, and it was this communal bread, and they would serve it. And so uh, the bread was such an integral part of not only their meals, but their society. Meals didn't happen without bread. Like if you showed up at a meal and there wasn't bread, people would just sit there. It's like, it's like when you don't know whether you're supposed to pray at the meal or not, right? Maybe you're going to lunch with someone from church and you're like, are they the pray before the meal type? Are they not? And you're kind of filling it out. You're not sure. Well, what am I supposed to do? And so that's kind of like bread at the table. If the bread wasn't there, you're just like, are we eating? Are we just hanging out? What's supposed to be happening here? The bread was used with the meals. It was the, the spoon and the fork. You would dip it in whatever you were eating. And so uh, the idea of bread was that it was essential for what you needed for your everyday. And, and in the same context, when he says, give us this day our daily bread, we're, we are coming to God and saying, give us what we need for today. Meet my needs for today. What is essential for today comes from you. Then he, he begins to talk about another part of Jesus. Jesus is a, our God is a par partner. The father is a partner. He is a, a forgiver. It says, forgive us of our sins as we ourselves forgive others of theirs. And see, we, I feel like we like that first part, right? Forgive us of our sins. It's the second part that we get hung up on. And it doesn't take long as we begin to think about someone that we might not need to forgive, uh, that names and faces begin to dwell up and we're like, well, Jesus, if you really understood what happened in that situation, if you really knew what they did to me, it doesn't take long for us to see how different God is from us. There, there's not a moment in the time where God unrolls his scroll when it comes to forgiveness and he says, look at what they did to me. He doesn't withhold it. He doesn't struggle in his forgiveness. He's so different than us. Then it says, lead us not into temptation. He is a protector. Not only does he want what's best for us, but he knows what's best for us. He doesn't lead us into temptation. He tries to protect us. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his power. He gives us his guidance and correction and wants us to walk in the best life, not lead us into temptation. What I believe we begin to see that as Jesus isn't just talking about how to pray, but he's teaching us about the character of the person we're praying to and our relationship to them he teaches us that our father is a perfect provider, pardoner, and protector. How do we relate to him? What does that relationship look like? Well, our father is perfect in his provision, perfect in his pardoning, perfect in his protection for us. And as he gets done talking about our relationship to this father, and as we read that, it does seem like this gap is so far, that God is way over there and we're way over here and there's just nothing we can do about it. And then he begins to tell a story about the heart of the father. He, he tells a story, a parable about a father who is perfect, but is also a generous, good father and good gift giver. And, and the fact, to be honest, the fact that we even get to come to this God, this God who is holy, 
this God who is perfect in all of his ways, that we get to come to him and lay our requests before him, that we get to come to him and pray to him, that we get to come to him and say, hey, we are in need, can you help me? We should be humbled by that. We should be in awe about that. It does seem like he's so far off, but Jesus doesn't want us to feel like he's so far off that we can't come to him. So he says, hey, he is that God, but you need to hear his heart for you. And so he begins to tell the parable of the friend at midnight. The purpose of parables was twofold. First, to tell a story that you would relate to, that you would identify with a character or characters in the story. And then at the same time, that it would teach you something that is true. And so as we dive in in verse five, as Jesus begins to teach this truth, that's what we're gonna see. We're gonna begin to see which character we identify with. It says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, don't miss this, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Like I said, the purpose of the, the parable is for you to identify with someone in the story and to teach you something in the midst of it. I feel like the first person that we easily identify with is the person who's just been woken up in the middle of the night and maybe they're a little frustrated about it. Any, anyone else? 2 a.m., 3 a.m., that would be like the, the context of our time versus theirs. You're, you're just a couple of hours into sleep. You only have a couple of hours left maybe and someone is knocking at the door and they need something from you. And you're like, my door is locked. I just got my children down. Why are you at my house, right? That, that is what is going on here. I feel like he's someone we could identify. I love the fact that it says friend. It doesn't say stranger. He went to a stranger's house. It doesn't say he went to a neighbor's house, uh, which sometimes could be worse than a stranger depending on your neighborhood dynamics. Um, some of you know who you are. It says he went to a friend, someone he felt like he could trust, someone he felt like would help him when he was in need. And I'm not sure what the cultural equivalent of this is, I'm not sure if it'd be like your friend showing up at your house at two or 3 a.m. saying, hey, my car broke down. I have something going on. I, I, need, I need your help. I need to borrow your car. I'm not sure if it'd be like a friend coming to you and be like, hey, something happened. I need your help moving. Also, it's at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. That, that's the type of request that this is. And I don't know the exact equivalent. What I do know is that it's supposed to be highly inconvenient for the person that is being asked. It's supposed to be highly inconvenient to them. And I know for me, I just think personally, you know, kind of if I can be in my flesh for a second, I'm like, if they were really my friend, if they really knew me, they wouldn't want to ruin my sleep like that. Like if they really care for me and love me like Jesus loved me, they would want me to get, you know, my six to eight hours, whatever I'm getting. And then we have our other characters in the story, the person, the friend who is in need. A couple things about the culture of the day. It was a shame honor culture. And so 
Uh, that means that the, the decisions they made, the way they, they viewed things was by whether it was shameful or whether it was honorable. That was their decision-making process. And in this specific scenario, it seems, which seems very different than our, our environment and our culture, that there was something more shameful about not being prepared to receive this guest than going over to his friend's house at 3 a.m. in the morning and asking for some bread. I feel like that's very different than our culture. Because for us to go to our friend's house when we were in need means we are not self-sufficient. It means we can't do it all by ourselves. It means that we, we have to acknowledge our need for help. We have to get to the place like this man that said, I have nothing. And that makes us uncomfortable. I don't feel like we like to do that very often. When was the last time for you that you got to the place where you said, I have nothing? You looked at all of the decisions you could make. You looked at all the resources you had. You looked at all of the options that were in front of you and you came to the realization, I have nothing. I need help. I don't have enough power to do anything about my situation. I don't have the right resources to do anything. It's too much. I can't handle this on my own. I don't even know where to start. I have nothing. I know for me, I, I feel this daily. I feel this as a, a father. Uh, the last couple of weeks, our, our son has been uh, sick a lot. I, I remember I was at camp uh, a couple of weeks ago and him and my wife were both sick and they're both just there throwing up. My wife's calling me on the phone and she's just like, I'm throwing up, he's throwing up, it's all awful over here. Yeah, well, one, I'm like, do you really need me? No, uh, I was trying to come home, she wouldn't let me. Because once I got home, I was sick too. That didn't help anyone. Um, but I, I just remember feeling so powerless in that moment. So helpless to do anything. In that moment, I had nothing. I feel it as a husband, as a friend. I feel this as a Christian daily as I'm trying to walk with Jesus and I find myself falling short of who he is and what he's done to me. I have to come back to the place where I'm saying, hey, I can't do this on my own. I need to keep coming back to you. I need your help. I need your power. I need your spirit. I have nothing and this, this is important. We have to get to this place because if we don't get to this place where we say, I have nothing, then we'll never get to the place where we go looking for help outside of ourselves. We'll never knock on the door of someone who is waiting to receive us and give us what we need. That doesn't happen unless we get to the place where we acknowledge our need, the help that we need the things we can't do in our own power, in our own strength. Jesus continues telling the story. Luke 11, verse eight. He says, I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. I feel like I need to pause there and just make a statement. I feel like everyone in this story just needs to go find new friends because none of them are doing a great job at this point. It says, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
This word impudence is also translated shamelessness. It means lack of restraint, nothing holding back. And when I, when I think of that, I often think of young children, right? That there's a lot of shamelessness in the, the way that young children ask for things, right? Like you just gave them a snack, but they don't have any shame in asking for another one right after, right? I see this with my son. There, there's no shame in him asking me for food when he's hungry, when he needs something. If he even hears like a bottle being made, he's just like, ah, you know, he, he knows, he knows to come to the person that has what he needs to help. There, there, there's no shamelessness in it. He comes to the people who has what he needs. I also think I've, I've kind of realized this recently. It, it hasn't taken long for my son to realize that sometimes the things that I have are better than the things that he has. Like sometimes he realizes that his remote doesn't work, but my remote does. Like he's starting to understand those things. Sometimes he understands that the food that I have is often better than the food that he has. And in those moments, he, he is shameless in his asking. As, as I press my remote and the channel changes, he's like, he has something that I want. He has something that I need. As, as he sees me eating uh, food that he doesn't have, he, he says, hey, I, I want what you have. I don't want you to miss this. What if the children of God saw that what the father had was better and they were shameless in their asking of it? That they said, hey, I see what I have here in the world, but what the father has is better and what the father is doing is better. And I wanna be a part of what the father has, what the father is doing. Man, things would change. He continues the, story. He says, and I, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What we see here is Jesus extending an invitation. He is extending an invitation to come to a perfect, holy father and ask. You have been given permission to ask. But why don't we? Why is that such a struggle? Why is that so hard for us? I think sometimes we don't ask because we feel guilty. We, we know that if we ask, we'd be asking outside of the the context of proximity. We haven't spent time with the Father, so it feels weird to ask for things from the Father. It's like when you show up kind of at your, your a holiday party or a family get together and a family member's asking you for money. It's like, we don't see each other enough for that. Some of you guys are like, that's me, I'm the, I'm the money asker, that's me. No, that it, right, there's an uncomfortableness that you would feel there. We don't have that kind of relationship. Where do I get off asking you? I don't spend any time with you. So we don't ask. I think sometimes we don't ask because we just doubt. If we ask, we would set ourselves up to be disappointed when we didn't give it. So why do we ask to begin with? Sometimes we don't ask because we're too busy trying to do it in our own power. 
trying to do things, the thought to stop and pray and go to a holy father and ask him to move on our, ha- our behalf doesn't even begin in the thought process. We just start saying, this is what I can do. This is what needs to be done next. And we just operate in our own power. Maybe sometimes we don't ask because we know that if we were asking the things we would be asking for aren't the things that God wants for us. And that makes us uncomfortable, so we don't ask. Maybe it just feels that we're bothering God with all of our requests. And and that's the, the point of this parable. It's that God is so unlike the friend at the house, the reluctant neighbor. God isn't like that at all. He has not grown tired of your asking. He has not grown tired of your pleading. He has not grown tired of you. And he says, come and ask me. You don't have to beat down his door pleading with him. He's waiting to receive you. He's already got the gift picked out for you. You see, when Jesus said to ask, seek, and knock, it was an invitation to ask a perfect father who delights in giving good gifts to his children, to those that he loves. It's an invitation. An invitation has been put out to you. He says, ask me. Treat me like I am your father. Ask. Be shameless in your asking. And so many times when this passage is uh, taught on, or I've heard it taught on before, they focus on the persistence that we're supposed to have in prayer. Hey, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And yes, I think that's true. We should keep asking. We, we should be persistent in our prayer. We should be passionate in our prayer. But we shouldn't forget who we are praying to. We're praying to a God who withholds no good things from those that he loves. You see, what I believe that Jesus is teaching here is that God's willingness to give is far greater than our desire to receive. God's willingness as a perfect gift-giving father is far greater than the desires that we have to come and ask and come and seek and come and knock. What happens when we don't have an answer? Or, Or even more so, what happens when the answer is no? Sometimes I think, kind of said it earlier, maybe sometimes we're just praying for the wrong things. Maybe sometimes we're simply just praying for the wrong things, and not only does God know what's best for us, but he wants what's best for us, and he's not gonna give us things that aren't good for us. He cares about us too much to do that. And sometimes we see God move, and it's different than what we wanted. We're praying, God, can you move in my family? Can you do something in my marriage? And then God begins to move. And you're saying, no, God, I just wanted you to fix them. I didn't want you to do anything to me. He begins to tell a parable, or finishing the parable. He says, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Don't miss this. How much more will the heavenly father 
give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. See that with me. How much more? How much more will a perfect, holy, gift-giving Father who withholds no good things from those that he loves, how much more will he give? And we, we hear this passage, there's this, this father who's, who's getting posed the hypothetical question. The hearers would be like, yeah, obviously we wouldn't give them a, a snake instead of a fish. What kind of father does that? Yes, I wouldn't give him a scorpion instead of an egg. What father would do that? I feel like as uh, we, we relate to that, we see on the news and we see uh, when, when a, a situation happens and children are being harmed and, and we have righteous anger and we should be angry. We're like, what, what kind of parent, what kind of father would do that? Here, here's the truth that's hard for us to come to. Sometimes if God would answer our prayers the way that he want, we wanted him to, he would be a bad father. If God answered our prayers the way that we wanted him to, he'd be giving us a scorpion instead of an egg. He'd be giving us a snake instead of a fish. But he doesn't because he loves us, because he knows what's best for us when, to be honest, we only know what we want. He's a good and holy, perfect father. And the, the purpose of, of this part of the passage is a lesser to greater argument. It's not necessarily putting down parents. It's like, hey, you parents, you can give good gifts. Everyone acknowledges, like, I've been to some of your birthday parties. You aren't having like snake, a snake party instead of like cake, right? Like that's not a normal thing here in North Georgia, all right? Maybe other places, South Georgia, I don't know. But uh, over here, it's fine. You guys are good gift givers. The point isn't how bad of a gift giver you are. It's how much more is a holy, perfect father who does not lack in power and does not lack in resources and does not lack in time or energy or anything. How much more could he do for you? If you would just simply ask. You see that the story here is not about a father who is reluctant and needs to be worn down. The story here is not about a, a father who is woken up in the middle of the night and is now annoyed and irate. It's not about a father who's trying to trick his children into things that aren't best for them. It's about a father who can do so much more. So much more. so much more than we can ask or imagine. And that's what I believe we see on the cross. You see, we acknowledge that the greater the gift, the greater the cost. We see that, I think we feel that around you know, birthdays and uh, Christmas time, like the, the greater the gift, usually the greater cost, where it costs us more money, it costs us more time, whatever it is, the greater the gift, usually the greater the cost. Yet we see on the cross that the greatest gift that God ever gave us was himself. We see in Romans chapter eight, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us, graciously give us all things? You see, the greatest gift God ever gave was himself. 
Philippians tells us that Jesus was wrapped in flesh. He left where he was ruling and reigning in heaven, wrapped himself in flesh, lived a perfect human life that you and I could never do, and then he died a death on a cross that we deserve. And he now lives and intercedes on our behalf. He fights for us on our behalf. And, and God wasn't even done there. It says he, he does not withhold his spirit from those. He, he gives us his spirit as a seal. That seal is a sign of our inheritance that is unfading, unblemishing, kept for us in heaven. That it empowers us and gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. He withholds no good thing from those that he loves, especially himself, even at the greatest cost. And I know that's what I've seen in my life. I remember about eight or nine years ago, I was at a church plant in Woodstock, Georgia. And I remember, you know, being a part of a church plant, think things uh, usually aren't super great at the very beginning. Like things are difficult. There's not a lot of people. You're wondering if you're even gonna have services the next week. It's just, it's an interesting thing. And so I had a lot of roles there. Uh, one of the main ones was I was the janitor. And so on Saturday nights, early Sunday mornings, I would be uh, cleaning up the church. And so I'd mix my little bucket of Fabuloso. And so, cause nothing brings people to Jesus like the smell of Fabuloso. And and so we'd start mixing it up and I'd start mopping the, the lobby and I'd start mopping the kids' rooms and, and cleaning up the auditorium. And as I was doing this, uh, I would be listening to messages from a church 30 minutes up the road called Revolution Church. I had known about Revolution for a while and just connected through different ways. And, and I would sit there and I would listen to messages and I would, I would hear about the life change that God was doing there. And I remember just simply praying, God, Maybe you can make this place like that. Or maybe God, you can, maybe you can take me to somewhere like that. Or maybe you can use me in ways like that. And I just began these infant baby prayers of God, would you do something? And can I tell you the, as I would sit eight years ago and watch teaching on my little phone screen, I'm now able to stand on that same exact stage and tell you that God is a faithful, good, gift-giving, perfect father, and he withholds no good things to those that he loves. And when I was just asking him to take me to a place like that, he took me to that place. He said, I have so much more for you. He's that good. How good? I love the way Paul says this in Ephesians chapter three. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. How much more? He says, you can't even imagine it. You don't even have the thoughts for how much I can do for you. According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, every time uh, I walk on a stage at Revolution Church, I get the opportunity to walk on answered prayers of a faithful, good, gift-giving father who says, you don't even know what I have in store for you. And that's available to you as well. 
as I was praying for how God might want to end our time today and what he might want to do in this place. Man, I really wanted you to be able to walk away with something. And so I'm like, hey, do I need to like come up with some cool acronym or like, can I give them some type of tool that can walk away? And that way you can, you, when you pray tomorrow and when you pray the next day and when you pray the next day, that it can change everything about it. And as I began to pray and God began to burden my heart, I just believe the best thing that I could spend my time doing and challenging you is to see God rightly. And that as you hear about a perfect father who is perfect in his provision, who is perfect in his pardoning, perfect in his protection, who withholds no good things for those that he loves, even at great cost to himself, that as you wake up tomorrow and the weight of life begins to rise and the worry and the anxiety begins to rise, that you would see a holy, perfect father and that would change everything about the way that you prayed. Because you know who you're praying to. He is not reluctant. You don't have to beat down his door. He is sitting there waiting for you. The, the best image I could put it to, and it pales in comparison, is to like a parent on Christmas. You see, the joy of the parent on Christmas is watching the children open the gift. And as the children tear up the wrapping paper and open it up and their eyes get big and they're amazed and in awe of all the things, you get to stand in the role as a good gift giver and enjoy it. God's door is not close to you. He is standing on the other side of the door like a parent on Christmas saying, I can't wait for you to open up what I have for you. Man, you don't even know how much more I have for you. You don't even know about that gift in the closet you haven't even seen yet. That's how good he is. I wanted to end with this quote because I feel like it sums up what I've been trying to say so well. It's from St. Augustine, the bishop of Hippo, which is in Algeria area. I'm not sure if you read a lot of early 400 church fathers, but uh, if you do, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, but man, I read this the other day and I said, to be honest, he's saying it better than anything I can. So I'm just gonna say what he said. He says, but our Lord Jesus Christ, who is in the midst of us, a petitioner with God as a giver, don't miss this, would not surely exhort us so strongly to ask if he were not willing to give. Let then the slothfulness of men be put to shame. He is more willing to give than we to receive. He is more willing to show mercy than we to be delivered from misery. And doubtless, if we shall not be delivered, we shall abide in misery. For the exhortation he giveth us, he giveth us only for our own sake. My prayer for you, is that you would see God differently. He withholds no good things from those that he loves. He is not a reluctant friend who you have to beat down and inconvenience. 
He is waiting behind the door with the gift prepared before you even ask for it. He's just asked you to ask so that he can show off how big and powerful and great he is and he would get the glory for all of it. Pray with me. God, we come to you today, Lord. My heart is burdened for us because I know that there's people here in this room that when they think of you, they don't think of you as a holy, perfect father. God, I pray that you would change that here in this moment, that you would turn our hearts towards you, that in the areas of our heart where we feel like you are not good and where we feel like you are withholding, where we feel like you're giving us things that are not best for us and withholding the things that we want. God, I pray that we would see the truth that you're holy in all of your ways and perfect in all of your decisions. And when we only know what we want, you know what is best for us. And you've asked us to ask. Maybe you're in this room today and you've never asked your holy, perfect father for anything because you don't know him. But you've walked into this room today and God has begun to work on your heart and God has been begin to draw you towards himself. And you see a holy, perfect father now. God has changed something inside of you, maybe in this very moment. If that's you in this room with no one looking around, everyone's eyes closed. I just invite you to pray with me real quick. And there's nothing special about this prayer, but there is something powerful about it because of who we're praying to. I say, God, I, I need a holy, perfect father in my life. And I acknowledge that I've been trying to do it in my own power. And I acknowledge that I've sinned. And I acknowledge that I have nothing. And I need help. And you sent your son at great cost to yourself to live and to die so that I could have life and that I could have hope and that I could have help. And today, for the very first time, I put my faith and trust in Jesus as Lord. And I now know that I have a holy, perfect father that I can come to. If that's you in this room and you would say you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I just want you to do something simple. I just want you to stick that hand up in the air and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. We have some people walking around that have something for you, would love to pray for you, walk with you in that journey. For the rest of us in this room, I pray that we wake up tomorrow morning and with all the questions that we have and the weight of our life and the unanswered prayers that we would bring that to a holy, perfect Father and say, I don't know what's going on and I don't know what you have for me, but I know that you're good and I know that I can trust you I know that you're not gonna give me anything that will harm me. 
And that's the Father that we run to and the next day and the next day and the next day and he's invited us to come to him and ask, God, you're good and you're faithful and we trust you to do it again. In Jesus' name, amen.